Hello, you're through to the PR department and this is your host, Katie Braden. Welcome to episode 11. Um, I honestly don't know why it's taken me so long to A, think of recording this episode and B, to record this episode. Um, so judging by the title, you already know what it is, but this episode is all about influencer brand deals and how it works behind the scenes. Um, I know that there are so many like speculations and it was a really, really hot topic a couple of years ago um, in regards to how much people are paid. Is it fair? Is it not? Etc, etc. And I'm not necessarily going to be discussing my opinion on whether they should or shouldn't be paid what they are paid. This episode is more going to cover the steps which I take um, to get an influencer brand deal signed, sealed and delivered um, because it can be quite a process and there are lots of like niggly bits throughout the process that even people who work in the industry I'm sure wouldn't necessarily know unless they've done it themselves. Um, So yeah, I'm basically just going to talk through the process from start to finish and hope that that is not mind-numbingly boring. So first things first, that monumental day rolls around where your client gets in touch and says that they have budget and they would like to spend it on influence marketing. So if you work in digital PR or influencer marketing or social media, you will know having budget is possibly the best thing that can happen to you. Um, Getting organic PR in this um day and age is really quite challenging um, because the influencer market is highly saturated and everyone wants to be paid which um, I do and I don't agree with so where I do agree with it is when an influencer has a relationship with a brand, like they really enjoy the products, they've been using it for a long time, and the natural evolution of that relationship is paid content. Excellent. Where I don't agree with it is when they've never seen the product before, never looked in the product's direction, they've never even tried it, seen it in real life, and they expect the first exchange that they have with the product to be a paid job. So where this doesn't work for me is A, they might not like it, like point blank, it might not be for them and then they're locked into a paid sponsorship which is really awkward for both parties. B, um, they don't have a relationship with the brand at all so it, it feels like a pure risk, like it feels so much more high risk than if you're working with somebody who you have a relationship with. And C, there will always be influencers who are have a great relationship with the brand and my opinion is that those people should be rewarded for building that relationship and for supporting the brand of course organically like that just seems obvious so when for I'm talking from the perspective as well like this is important to remember a lot of the brands that I work with are smaller brands indie brands um, founder owned brands so we're not talking like corporate huge like million pound companies these are smaller companies where the budget is smaller and it comes along less often so 
when I get budget land in my lap for influencer marketing where I can, um, I will reward those who have, you know, done things for me and supported the brand until that point. I will almost never entertain paying somebody who I or the brand don't have a relationship with because also doing influence marketing is quite stressful. Like you're dealing with um, quite large chunks of money and I, for one, am always very aware that for the brand to part with that amount of money and put it into something like influencer marketing, which to them is not a tried and tested method, it's considered quite new in comparison to say like print advertising, which they've been doing since the dawn of time. It all feels very risky. And then to throw in the element that you've never worked with that person before and you don't really know how they roll, their dynamic, like whether they're going to be easy to work with, hard to work with, whether they can meet deadlines, etc, etc. You know, it just adds like another level of stress into the melting pot when you're already dealing with something that feels uncertain and something that has a big price tag on it. So yeah, that's kind of my perspective. Um, I think that the paid stuff should come as an organic evolution of a relationship as opposed to like straight out of the the door basically there are brands that do that you know I've seen hugely successful campaigns where all of their content is paid and you've never seen the influencer talk about that brand ever and then all of a sudden they're doing a paid sponsorship um and I think if you do that on mass then it works like if a brand dedicates like I don't know 100 grand to influencer marketing and then they have this on mass strategy yes you will get sales um but when you have like a few thousand pounds here and there it's not the same effect so you have to go with something that feels very evolutionary and organic um I also think that consumers are super super savvy so when they see something that's paid and the influencers never talked about it before like they clock on to that and I think they understand you know when an influencer really genuinely uses and loves a product and where it doesn't there are some influencers who are massive who do this really really well one of my favorites is um Jamie Genevieve so obviously she's like an um an OG I was gonna say organic she's not organic well maybe she is are humans classes organic question of the day um she's an og beauty influencer she's been in the scene for years and years and years and she's built her brand and obviously she's earned her money but what i really enjoy about jamie is that she has like staple products from certain brands that she will use over and over and over again over years like she still uses the same nars concealer she still uses the same same tan brand you know she still uses this that and the other like she's really loyal to like her skincare brands and she always uses the same ones um and when she does paid content for them like i think she's been working with ghd now for like years um and she always works basically with the same people and I think it makes her audience really susceptible to whatever she's selling because it's very honest and she genuinely loves the products and you can see that she's not like bouncing around between you know one uh moisturizer one week and then another one the next and another one the next while still she still has that element of trying things out because obviously she's in beauty and that's part of it but a lot of her paid content feels very solid and the relationships between her and the brand seem very 
like a foundation on which to build I mean even when she launched her own beauty brand she still continued to use like the Urban Decay setting spray the NARS concealer like those staples were still in her makeup collection um and I think that works really well um Molly May is another great example you know she's been with PLT for years and years and years like you know that that relationship is not built on a solid foundation um yes she wears high-end brands but when it comes to um fast fashion um you know whether you like that element or not she always wears plt all of her basics are usually always plt or like there'll be a zara mixed in there um but there's definitely a level of loyalty um you know beauty works beauty works have always done her hair extensions and therefore her collaboration and paid posts make sense um you know, Elemis, she's always worked with them. Like you can you can name them because they are constants in uh con- constants. Yep, we'll go with that. Um <laughs> it's just you know, it's quarter past six in the evening and um whilst I am super excited to be recording this podcast, at this time my brain cells tend to leave my body. So if I start making up words, just like take it as extra entertainment. <laughs> so yeah, you see where I'm going with that. Um you know, whilst I really, really believe that people should be paid for the work that they're doing, I do think that there's a level of groundwork and relationship building that needs to come with it. Um, you know, that's kind of how everybody on the influencer and the brand sides are going to see the best results. So when I reach out to a new influencer, I will always offer them like an introduction um, to the products, like whether they can like pick a few products off the website to try or if they want to try something specific. And it will always be on an organic gifting basis. And then from there, I expect feedback. Um, You know, I expect engagement. I don't ever, ever, ever ask for posting. Um, Something I will never do. I mean, in the UK, we actually have um, quite strict tax tax laws around that where if you are gifting somebody a product for example if I gift somebody a shampoo and conditioner that has the um the value of say 50 pounds that is then has to go down on the influencer's tax as cash income even though it's not cash income it's a product if they're taking that gift the cost of the gift then has to be noted as taxable income which then they have to pay tax on even though they haven't benefited from the actual you know they're not getting cash they're getting shampoo and whilst they're getting a free gift yes they can't pay their rent with that and they're still being taxed on it so it's it's super important I think that you respect the boundaries of organic gifting a lot of the time influencers if they genuinely love something they will share it you know it'll crop up in a reel it'll pop on stories which you know every PR is always so grateful for um but I think having that idea that you send it try it and begin that relationship is really key um if they're not interested in building a relationship and all they want is a paid piece of content then there's no point in engaging because as I said earlier from me anyway um with the budgets the smaller budgets that I have to work on that are few and far between you will never ever see me doing like a paid sponsorship straight out the gate it just isn't going to happen there's no relationship there and I don't believe it's organic content I don't think you'll really see any sales from it it's kind of pointless 
So yeah, there has to be that willingness to meet um, both ways and also a genuine love for the product, which I think isn't too much to ask if you're then going to be paid quite a lot of money to essentially promote it. Um, also as an influencer I think you would want to promote things that you love Um, I'm not sure why you would promote something that you didn't Um, but you know there's so many different mindsets around that you know it's not really for me to speak on because I'm not an influencer and I don't get paid to advertise things Um, so yeah First things first that happens when I am working on an influencer marketing campaign, which is paid content, I will get the news from the brand that there is budget. At that point, you do a little happy dance and you think, great, excellent, this is fabulous. After you've gotten over the excitement, the hard work then begins. So you work on the brand to figure out what the brief is, um, what they're looking for, what style of content. And the things that I um, try and pin down here is the style of content. So at the moment, most of the time, the answer is reels. Um, And you'll kind of figure out if they want to do like a bit of a package. Uh, My favorite one is like one reel, three stories, because I think that's like a nice supporting thing and it makes it feel quite organic, even though it isn't obviously um so yeah at that point we will pin down the actual content that they want to receive out of this activity and at that point I will kind of advise them on packages that maybe they can put together the next point that is super super important to establish is the usage um so this is a topic all in itself um but usage basically means where you intend to use the content once you receive it so a lot of the time if you're working with a smaller budget um I would always set the usage as just to be reshared on social media so it would just then be shared on the brand's uh, social media pages. As soon as you start talking about social media ads, print ads, um, website content, e-marketing content, you know, sharing it in those capacities, this ups the usage and it ups the usage by a considerable, considerable, here we go, six o'clock brain, um, amount and this is where you need to be really careful because it can literally triple your budget if you're not careful um, like sometimes I'll get a usage feedback for an ad campaign where there wants to be like a digital global usage and it's like 20k so usage is really important to pin down with the client because you really don't want them to think that they can pay for this piece of content and then they can do whatever they want with it um, because they can't it has to have the usage set Um, they don't have ownership of that material and the last thing that I always try and pin down in the very early stages is exclusivity so some brands are really hot on this and they don't want um, let's go back to our shampoo and conditioner example if my influencer is talking about the shampoo and conditioner the brand might want to say okay you can't do any paid collabs with any other shampoo and conditioners for the next six months um, and that would be the exclusivity deal again if you start doing this Um, particularly like if we're talking shampoo and conditioner if you're working with an influencer whose hair is a big thing on their page which obviously you would want to target those people because then shampoo and conditioner would be engaging to their audience 
obviously their hair is a big part of their income and a lot of their paid sponsorships would relate to their hair so they would have to be happy not talking about any other brands in regards to shampoo and conditioner for six months that could mean cutting income for them and this is why this charge is added again like usage this can stack up really quickly so it's something that is really important to decide with your client before you embark and it's also super important to have that information to hand when you're communicating with the influencer because it's something they'll ask 100% so you'll have your three points the content they want to receive the usage that they intend to do once they have the content and the exclusivity So those are the three things that I try and pin down. The other thing, of course, is specific budget. Um, Smaller brands are usually quite bad at doing this um, because they, they go quite general when actually the more specific you are, the better negotiator you can be. So they might allocate, for example, £2,000 to an activity and they might want to get three to four influencers out of that. So then it's up to me to piece the pieces of the jigsaw together and try and get three to four influencers pieced together, either all at the same rate or all at different rates that add up to the £2,000 overall spend. Um, But yeah, it's really important to have the overall activity spend to hand um, because if the overall activity spend is £2,000 and then you have an influencer whose rate is 4000 obviously they're off the table. So this also dictates who you can reach out to for the campaign. Um, I mean I've put, been put in a position many a time where I've been given a budget overall for the campaign and the people who I would ideally want I know that that budget wouldn't even touch the sides even if we were just doing it all on them um like for example like I just said the the activity spend is £2,000 and I know that their rate is like £4,000 for one post so I wouldn't even bother suggesting those people because you know it's just going to eat the budget uh so then you have to go into you know a bit of strategic planning where you can work with the client and basically suggest people for the campaign who a you think would be great would touch their target audience is the type of content they want to receive but b would do it for the money that they're offering and i think those two things married together make a really successful um outreach if those two things don't marry together um it can cause problems and you can waste a lot of time so I wouldn't even suggest people you know that are out of budget even if they're perfect um or I would just side note them and say look I do have this person in mind but their rate is this amount um would you even consider um but yeah as I say it depends what the overall spend is and how many pieces of content they are looking at getting for that A lot of the time in my experience, clients will rely heavily on you to dictate the budget and to dictate how much everybody should be paid. Um, In this circumstance, I always communicate that it's literally like how long is a piece of string. I, I can't even tell you how many times in my career by so many different brands, corporate, indie, you know, small, whatever they are. I get asked the same question over and over again. And that is what is the budget for a piece of influencer content? And the answer is, I don't know. Um, Until you set those three points, the content you want to receive, the usage and the exclusivity, it's only then that you can even guess at a cost. Um, And also influencer costs change all the time. It's an ever-changing market. Just because somebody accepted 
a certain amount on one day, they might not the next. You have to remember when you're dealing with influencer marketing, there is absolutely no regulation, absolutely none. We're literally navigating this industry by the string of our pants. Um, A lot of the time it is pick a number, any number, and sometimes that number doesn't make sense. So bearing all of that in mind, you're basically working in a marketplace that has like such an unsteady floor, you could fall at any time. So yeah, I would always sort of tiptoe through it via these steps that I'm kind of going through now. So yeah, when you have all of that ironed out and you have your kind of wish list put together, it's then time to do the outreach. Um, So when I do the outreach, I let them know obviously what it is, the content we're looking to do, the usage, the exclusivity, the rough budget, and then most importantly, the deadline. So the deadline is... um, the part that always causes me stress I'm not gonna lie like I'm gonna be very honest here the deadline is always what causes me stress where people go wrong is setting their deadline as the day of posting that is not your deadline set it seven days before if you take anything from this podcast please set your deadline seven days before and communicate a two-tier deadline. So what I mean by that is I will set a date seven days before the day of posting. On that date, all of the content for the campaign needs to be delivered to me. At that point, I will check it and make sure that it meets the brief. Um, So if there's some in the brief, I'll go back to the brief in a minute and we'll go into that in more detail. But I need to check if everything's spelt correctly, if all of the product names are correct, if all of the links are correct, if the caption is correct. So I'll get them to send all of the visual content and the captions. So everything that's going to go live on that post date should be in my inbox seven days before. And this will be communicated at the start of the process. So they will be told that there's two deadlines, one that is for content sign off which is at this point, and then there'll be one that is the actual posting date. So in that seven days, that allows me to check for any errors, give any feedback, and also get the the client to sign off the content. This is really important because you don't want the client to see the content fresh on the day of posting. Because if there's anything wrong, or if there's anything they're unhappy with, even if it's the slightest thing, once it's posted as an ad, you can't edit it. Because if you edit it, your reach will be scuppered. If you delete it, you might as well not have posted it in the first place. Like we, That's how the algorithm works. So having this seven-day um, sort of gateway it means that I can sign off and check for anything the client can sign off and give feedback and then the influencer has time to edit so once that edit has been done they'll send it back get that you know get that first sign off and then everything is ready to go on the day of posting and there's no ugly surprises you know even down to like small things like full stops capital letters make it like most of the time it's like product names or brand names that will trip people up because it's the most simple thing in the world but if you are you know putting together an ad sometimes it's good to have two pairs of eyes on it um so yeah that is like a massive um tip and I would always 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 recommend um 
So that would be communicated at the first point is the deadlines. Um, And what else would I put in there? Oh yeah, the brief, of course. I just said we were going to go back to it. So the brief can be as complex or as brief as you want it to be. Um, Personally, I always err on the side of giving more creative space and creative license. So I'll say like, I want a video of you using the shampoo. It needs to be 30 seconds long. It needs to show this product and it needs to say this information. And then everything else, like all of the creative, is then up to the influencer, like the music used, how it's shot, you know, the vibe, how they want to do it. It's all up to them. And if you pick the right people, like they will do it in a way that you want it to be done. Um, I think there needs to be a marriage of like brief and the content that the influencer already creates. Like there's no point in trying to do like a square peg round hole kind of vibe because you're going to get content that you don't want. Um, But the brief is really important and you can go into as much detail as you want with that. So if you have a client who is really specific, then get them to do a really detailed brief. And then that way you can kind of eliminate them being unhappy because a good brief makes a good project, I promise. Um, So yeah, I would include all of those things in the initial email um, and then do your outreach to your wish list. And then from there, it's very like play by ear, like who comes back, who's interested, who's not, what feedback, if they're happy with the budget, if they're not, if they want to make changes, if they have questions. And then once you've gone through that process of um, pinning down and elimination and feedback and clarifying um, and sort of you know, pincing everything in to be like the final thing. Um, Once you have your group of influencers and all of the budget is agreed and all of the terms are agreed, at that point you will send a contract. And all the contract is, is just a legally, (laughs) legally, a legally binding document, which has everything you've agreed, all of the terms that you've just laid out in your email thread, budget, etc, etc, all in one place so everybody is protected. So another question that I get quite often is, do I write my influencer contracts? No, because I'm not a lawyer. I will always, where possible, get the client's legal representation to draft their contract because it's a contract that is for them. It is not my contract. Like I am not paying these people. My client is, so they should write the contract. Does that make sense? Like if they were paying me, I would write the contract but you know I'm I'm not the one dishing out the budget the client is so they need to do the contract so it fits with their legal terms. Most companies that I work with actually have either like a freelance lawyer that they work with or somebody in-house that deals with legal they will usually be responsible for the contract. So one another tip that I will give I'm full of tips today Another tip that I will give is make sure you check that contract as a PR because legal people like to slip things into contracts that A, you haven't agreed to or B, don't make sense. So I received a contract once that I'm not even joking was like 20 pages long from the client and in fairness, they'd never done one before. So it was like a process of feedback and elimination, but there was things in there that were ridiculous, like they'd randomly put like a year-long exclusivity in there that had never been discussed or agreed before it like wasn't part of the deal and it was something that I knew would add a huge charge like you can't just slip things like that into a contract it has to be the terms that you've agreed and that's why it's so important to talk this out with the client before so that they know 
what needs to be in that contract and what is actually being agreed to and what they are getting out of this project. Um, Because if you just send a random contract, you're going to have pushback on that contract. It's not going to work. Or the influencer will just end up breaking the contract anyway. So it's always best to have like a super simple contract that just lays out what you've discussed, what you want out of it in really clear terms. I would also make sure that all of the um, the information for the job is in the contract. So if there's any like product names or links or like anything like that that they need to include in their contract, um, in their content, put it in the contract so that you all both have like a PDF that's like a rundown of the whole job in one place like put all of the information in there also make sure that the invoicing details are in there so they know where to send their invoice because again you're not paying them so if you don't want to be involved let them know where to send their invoice nine times out of ten they will always ask you anyway but make sure you provide that information so that they know what they're doing um so yeah that contract basically needs to be like your bible for the whole project um I would always advise that it's not too overly legal and it's very easy to understand whilst also being a legally binding document. Once that contract is signed, then you are good to go. You are both locked in, both parties, and it is a rocking and a rolling. Um, So that all sounds really simple. So here's the part where it all tends to go crazy. For me anyway, it all seems to go crazy at this point and I don't know why because I'm so organised, but it still happens every time. It happens to the best of us. We're all in it together. Um, So the next part is obviously the influencer goes away, creates the content and then has to meet the deadline. I'm going to be completely honest here. Like I have friends who are influencers. I've worked with some of my friends who are influencers who have been absolutely fantastic. This is not a sweeping statement. But the experience that I've had with influencers bulldozing my deadlines is chaotic. Like it seems to happen to me almost every project I'll have at least one influencer who just bulldozes straight through my deadlines and just doesn't care um so it's really up to you to enforce those deadlines um it you know it's so important like most of the time it's not just a case of like oh we're popping it on social media and that's it like you're working to a corporate schedule so like that content needs to be in place for certain things and it has to happen on a certain day also you've signed a contract saying you're going to give it by a certain day you have to give it by a certain day like stop messing around um if the influencer has an agent nine times out of ten those conversations are a bit easier but if they don't yeah the fun begins um this is always where I have to set hard boundaries because influencers a lot of the time and again like this is not talking down on influencers like influencers literally um are a huge part of my job and I love them like they do so much for me but a lot of them um have never had jobs before Uh, especially if they're younger um, they will have sort of come out of education started educating and then kind of fallen into educating sorry guys it's now 6 38 brain cells are coming out of my nose at a rapid pace um so they've come straight out of education and kind of like stumbled into being an influencer um and they haven't really ever worked a job or worked in a corporate environment where deadlines are super important and communication on deadlines is super important. So you kind of like people who are like that, you kind of can't blame them because they've never been in an environment where they have to work that way. Also, they're creatives. And again, without being stereotypical, creatives are usually more like free flowing people and deadlines 
are not always their number one priority, whereas to me it is. So yeah, they also tend to work non-office hours. Um, So when it comes to communicating about the content, unless you are happy to be WhatsApped, DM'd, text, all this jazz whilst they're doing it, you have to enforce boundaries where you say, when we are discussing things to do with this project, it has to be via email. Um, you know, you're dealing with a legally binding job and you're dealing with um, money. So I personally don't think like WhatsApping back and forth about the job is appropriate. Um, for me, like all correspondence has to be over email. And also I don't work outside of office hours. Like I don't care who it is or what it is. Um, I'm not going to do it unless it's agreed prior so if I'm getting whatsapps at 10 o'clock at night asking me about content that's being created like unless we're friends like that's not getting responded to until the next day because that's a business matter so yeah (laughs) that's the part like if you haven't done influence marketing before I just would say that from my experience that is always the part that feels prickly and it's a challenge, um, but it's fine, it's fine. Um, the content comes in, it gets signed off, any edits are done, and then it's posted. And that is the end of the job. Um, aside from um, bagging analytics, like doing all the screenshots and sharing that with the client um, and reposting where you need to, that is basically it. Um, but yeah, I feel like I've covered quite a lot there um I feel like you probably will want me to talk about money though because with influencer marketing money is always like the center of the conversation um I don't know if anybody remembers or even follows the YouTube drama that happened I think it was back in 2018 called Dramageddon where somebody basically outed another influencer for like asking for like sixty thousand dollars for a post and honestly I'm shocked but not surprised is my response I've actually had um I was working with um a brand who is also a charity and I outreached to this really really famous makeup artist and all I wanted to do was gift some brushes to them to see if they liked them and that was it like there was no ask of a post there was no nothing it was literally just like this is a charity brand. Can I send you these brushes? I think you'll really like them. That was it. And I got a response from the agent and they were like, yeah, they would love the brushes. Just so you know, their rate for receiving the brushes and doing a post would be (laughs) $165,000. And at that point I turned my laptop off. (laughs) So, you know, like it, like I said in the beginning when it comes to money it really is how long is a piece of string like people try and get it out of me all the time like how much do you pay influencers there's no answer there really isn't it depends on the influencer it depends on the contract it depends on the job and it depends what way the wind is blowing that day (laughs) like that's that I've got no tea to spill on that um I think the most I've ever paid anybody is like £2,000 for 15 seconds. So do with that what you will. Um, So on that note, that's the end of that episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed it and I will see you next time. Bye.